Hey awesome nerds, editor Jeremy here from kind of the future or kind of the past. Anyway, uh, I'm just popping into the podcast before it starts to let you know that we're not going right into another TV series right away, taking a few weeks to just do some bonus episodes, uh, which will be really fun, getting some people back on, getting some new people on, uh, and talking about different things, mostly movies. I know it's uh, tough watching TV and playing D&D most days, but I did need a bit of a break uh, after <laughs> so much output. And we're coming up to two years now. So that's um, really exciting. And I just wanted to say thank you everyone for listening. Um, so yeah, over the next few weeks, enjoy something a little bit different. Hey awesome nerds and welcome to a very special bonus episode of D&D and TV where D&D and TV goes to the movies. Uh, normally this is a weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept and characters can be used in different role playing games. But this time we thought we'd do something a little bit special, uh, something a bit different. We would watch a movie and talk about how themes, concepts, and characters can be used in different role-playing games, because that's what we do here. Just something, just a nice little one-shot for all the supporters around around the internet. Uh, I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined today by the glorious leader of Masters of Alchemy. Uh, you know her from the Gossip Girl series of this very podcast. She Meek is here, not dying of consumption with me. Correct. I have been, this, that was almost sounding like a Simpsons intro, like, you might recognize me from such things <laughs> as the previous Call all Quakers. <laughs> uh, but correct, I am not dying from consumption uh, that I'm aware of at this stage, but as we were just saying before we start recording, uh, oh, we haven't discussed the movie, I can't give it away, because we haven't discussed oh, no, no, the movie with right? It's going to be in the, in the show description, so we are talking about Moulin Rouge, so, uh, voulez-vous <gasps> coucher avec moi, c'est quoi? To all yeah, of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that means what you think that means. But, I think it uh, means that I want yeah. them to come to bed with me, but I'm assuming. Is that yeah. what it means? Yeah. I mean, and that's really what the internet's for, if we're being entirely honest. Do you know the original, what Moulin Rouge, where it was going to originally be set before uh, Baz Luhrmann decided on Paris, 18, whatever it is, the 1800s Paris? Wait, so he wasn't going to set it in the Moulin Rouge? Well... Originally, the story was going to be not called Moulin Rouge, per se. Mm -hmm. No, it was going to be set in a different location. And it was going to be set in the 70s. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're close, though. In the 70s Mm -hmm. at Studio 54. Oh, yeah, I can see that. And it was going to be set like the young writer, like Christian was going to be like a young songwriter and gets like kind of stuck in the underground club scene of New York City. Yeah. Did he not do it because Studio 54 was already a film and it sucked? (laughs) Uh, no, I think he knew, I think he didn't do it because he knew that, like, there was a teenager in a very rural town that needed Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I think and needed it, the, like, fantastical romance of Paris. I, I'll, I'll give him that. I think you're not alone because I believe you might have been referring to yourself in, uh, in that description. <laughs> I think the world needed Moulin Rouge. Right. But it had like so in like when it came out, I thought it was the best movie ever, and I still do to this day. But Ooh, only that's a now, call. that's okay. That's, it is a big call, but I'm confident. Um, but it's interesting because when I go back now and I've like looked back at stuff, and like the 20th anniversary was like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like I think it came out in 2000 and 2001. It came out 2001. Yeah, there we go. Right. And I remember like reading all this stuff. I was like, yeah, when it first came out, it had mixed reviews, and I was. Like yeah. mixed reviews, who didn't like perfection? I think right? that people like, didn't get what it was. They didn't understand, uh, like just the the sheer spectacle of Moulin Rouge. True. Also, at this time, this was also it's not a it's not the fact it was a musical. I don't think mm. because this was like Chicago was coming out around this time. Mm-hmm. The Renee Zellweger. 
Catherine Zeta-Jones, Richard Gere, Catherine Zeta-Jones, yes, uh, John yes. C. McGinley, Chicago I think. Was yes, yes. Uh, also, to be honest, banger. Yeah. But um, Cabaret didn't get remade. Yeah, but Cabaret's, okay. Cabaret, people think Cabaret's a super happy, like, has these No, Cabaret's dark Cabaret's as fuck. Freaking downer, yeah. Cabaret is like, ugh. I sat through so many like comp- vocal competitions where like girls do welcome to Cabaret as this like jazz hands you, and it's like Sally Bowles is like one of the grimmest characters out there. This is when it's revealed that I haven't seen Cabaret. <laughs> All I know okay, is that Alan Cumming you- was in it. <laughs> Oh, in one version, correct. In okay. one version, correct. And Alan, actually, and Alan Cumming uh, on stage as well. I think he might have won a Tony. Probably. That, but I think Alan Cumming won a Tony for the stage production as well. Rightly so. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, talented human. Um, so this great. period, there's off 2001 air, period. <laughs> yeah. Off air, you're going to send me some awesome stuff about Cabaret. <laughs> but this 2001 period yeah, yeah. had a lot of <laughs> musicals and other things coming out, which when was the Phantom? Yeah. Phantom of the Opera. Um, the movie? Uh, yeah, the movie. Oh, I didn't know there was a movie. Yeah, it's Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, oh. It's Jared Butler plays the Phantom. Oh, wait. No, I do. Th- I did think I know this exists. I take it back. I haven't watched it, but now that you've said that, I'm like, actually, I do remember. Because, but they pretty much copied this, like, the costumes and stuff almost look identical as well. Yeah, they are. Which, fun fact, to bring it back to Moulin Rouge, which is mm-hmm. now, uh, now I think it won, like, it's now a musical, and it won, like, 10 Tonys, I think. Oh, wow. Having said that, though, I have to put an asterisk. No, but I have to, here's the thing. I have to put an asterisk on that, which hurts my heart a little bit, because it technically was in the, like, 2020 Tonys run. So it uh, won a lot of Tonys, but there wasn't a lot of competition, which I'm not to take away from the creatives involved in it, but, like. But didn't. Didn't it come out? Didn't it become a musical in 2018? It might have. It's really weird how the Tonys work, though. Like the, oh, the way okay. that they. It might have, like, previewed in 2018, but then it might not yeah. have opened officially till right, whenever. Right, right, um, right, right. But pretty much it was, like, one of, like, only a couple of musicals that technically were nominated for the 2020 Tonys. So. Because, like, Hamilton won 11 Tonys. Do you know what I mean? And, like, and I love Moulin Rouge, but it's not Hamilton. Yeah, it's not. It's Moulin Rouge. I find it, going back to what you were saying about the mixed reviews, I'm thinking that Baz Luhrmann at this time, he was coming off Romeo and Juliet, or Romeo plus Juliet. He was coming off Strictly Mm. Ballroom, both of which Mm -hmm. massive successes. Like people Mm. loved these as soon as they came out. They were- What are they called though? He's got a name uh, for the- The Red Curtain. Red Red Curtain Trilogy. Red Curtain Trilogy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which honestly, I think Great Gatsby should be included in that as well, but- mm. That's just me. When did Gatsby come out? I was a fair while oh, later. Oh, like 2014 or something. Yeah. But Gatsby's of, of a different... Rules. It is of a different ilk. But, like, yeah. I was wondering, like, with a trilogy, does it have to be a timing thing? Like, can you have a trilogy that's released years and years and years and years and years apart? Yes. Or does it have to be, like... Okay. I think you can have okay. a trilogy as long as it's the same story over a set period or over a period of time. It's like you can have mm. a bunch of films. You can have them as far apart as you want if it that's... Oh, here we go. Avatar that's just dropping at the moment. Yes, Avatar, correct. the first film, came out forever ago. And now we've got a sequel coming out correct. and they're churning the others out. But there's a big gap between the first and second films. It's just yeah, that's how yeah. long it took to make. <laughs> but going back to Moulin Rouge, that the, I think the Red Velvet trilogy, it's because all three of these are about performance and production. Mm. that um, Strictly Ballroom, which is also amazing, is about mm-hmm. dancing. William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet obviously is a stage play. And then Moulin Rouge is about performers and singing. So I think that's why it's the trilogy and why we don't get any more of that. He kind of made these three and that was it. Yeah. Which now, I'm okay with. I'm very happy with that trilogy. Yeah, I certainly haven't watched much else that he's done. Fun facts. Do you want? Am I just tell me if I get into too many fun facts? Okay. But uh, I want me. We're watching the the t- tangent uh, count go up right now. <laughs> no, no, okay. This is kind of relevant. So we're talking about the trilogy and mm-hmm. come what may, the only original song in Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. BT Dubs, 
was originally written for Romeo and Juliet. Really? Yeah. And then they was tweaked that, it. Was it going to be a musical? I don't know if it was going to be, but I mean, like, Romeo and Juliet, banging soundtrack. Like, mm. Basil Lemon's Romeo and Juliet has one of the I know, best it's soundtracks yeah. I've ever encountered. It's absolutely um, astounding. So I don't know if it was going to be a musical per se, but I just remember reading somewhere. I'm sure it was. Yeah, I remember reading something about like, yeah, come what may was originally going to come into Romeo and Juliet. Okay, so I can see I... how it would work. Instead, well, I think Desiree's "Kissing You" was written for, um, oh. written for not written for the film, but like performed and launched with the film. So mm. maybe it was going to take the place of that, which would work maybe. as well. It would have, yeah. That's that's kind of the scene of this this film as it came mm. out. Um, mm-hmm. Me, could you? I've got a synopsis from IMDb, right? Which I'd like to say, not a synopsis, mm-hmm. more of a yeah, it is a synopsis. What is it when it's just the mm-hmm. brief description of the the yeah thing, the blurb? Sure. Okay, the synopsis I was able to get was a poor bohemian poet in 1890s Paris falls for a beautiful courtesan and nightclub star coveted by a jealous duke. Oh, is that it? That's it. That's all they gave me. Oh, I mean, technically, that is the crux of the story, but it's about, yeah, I mean, Moulin Rouge is about is so more, much more. It's so about hope, love, truth, beauty, freedom. No, wait, that's not him. What are they? Freedom, beauty, truth, and love. That's the four they're about. Yeah. yeah. I put an extra one in there. But oh, it's not about hope. It's not about, it's not about, hope. about hope. Everyone dies. Spoilers. <laughs> hope is... Well, th- from it's the very not- beginning, from the very beginning, it tells you this is going to be a sad movie. Because it yeah. starts off... like We're not going to go all the way through it, but it starts off with Christian sitting there in Paris... Uh-huh. Absolutely devastated, sitting in his typewriter, tapping it out as he looks like it's this mm-hmm. dingy world. Yeah. Um, and what is it? It's got the song, um, The Greatest Thing You'll Ever Know. There is... was a boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, the Bowie. And it's he's just tapping it. Do you like, this remember is... what that song's called? Or at least what it's called on the Moulin Rouge soundtrack? No. Because this is also an homage. This is a sign about our previous recording. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Lonely Boy. Oh, of course, of course. Lonely Boy. All right, cool. <laughs> Which is also Dan in Gossip Girl, <gasps> which is what we recorded before. Spoiling, spoiling Gossip Girl. For, oh, well, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> as we spoiled Moulin Rouge, those, apparently. Like, but yeah, yeah it, so. it telegraphs really early on what this film's going to be like. Like, it jumps into the, the spectacle and the shininess. But it, from the very start, it's like, there's going to be sadness. you got to keep, you got to yeah. remember, this starts sad. You know, it's got to be a surprise when it comes later, because this was what we warned you about and i'm thinking about how you do this in role-playing games that foreshadowing of mm-hmm. when you're a game master when you're a player how do you kind of bring that that in because this is like the first scene you want the first scene do you have it like this is the villain coming out this is the person this is the the theme of it that you see just as a little yeah. side encounter maybe just a description that you can just keep returning to and returning to is like that yeah that's what it felt like for me when I when I was watching it. Correct. I mean, the closest I've ever had to this is that I've GM'd a game where Bythe... I don't know if this is spoilers. I just won't mention the game. But, like, <laughs> by a funnel, by a funnel, like, everyone has to die at the end of the first game, essentially, or the first, yep. like, episode, because yep. that sets up the rest of the campaign. Hmm. So the players don't go in knowing they're about to die, but, like you know from the offset that the only way that this episode finishes is with you all dying. Hmm. And then you kind of, like, work... Well, it's not you work backwards, it's just then you're kind of exploring the characters from, like, them trying to, I guess, write that in a way. Hmm. It'd be really fascinating, though. Like, I would imagine sitting down at, like, like the first game of a session, just having a GM open up to, like, the world is gone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and then, like, and then after they do a big monologue... Yeah, and then they do this huge monologue and there's, like, you know, some god who's, like, rained down, you know, all of the apocalypses at once. And then it's, like, and then in a beat they're, like, so you guys are in a tavern, though. Uh, you're, like, you know, 300 years before and mm-hmm. go. Like, what would that do to you as a player if you all had that same vision and yeah. that's how you've started the game? That would actually be amazing. That would be amazing. Right? I love that. I love that idea. Or even just you start <gasps> the game and you go, within a week's time, you'll all be dead. Yeah. And it's like, that's just what's going to happen. 
And having, I think as a player, you'd make so many more chances. I think you take so many more chances. You'd really go all out. You wouldn't play it safe because it's like, well, I kind of know where it's going to go anyway. It's like a self prophesizing, like maybe you were never going to die anyway. And then you like die a sudden death because you took too many risks. Yeah. Or I just had another idea. What if you did like almost like a session 0.5. So like you have like a little mini session with each of the players individually and it's like a dream sequence and you just get this role play stuff. And then it's like, you essentially everyone has the same thing where it's like the apocalypse comes, the whole world dies. And then it's like, but it was a dream. And so Mm. then they all go into the first game, but none of them know they've all had the same dream of like the whole world is going to end. And it takes them a while to figure out, wait a minute, you had the same dream about like Tiamat. I had that dream. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that idea of sending out like little messages to all the group and being like, you've received, this was the dream you had last night, but not telling everyone. And then just Mm -hmm. casually come, like one person in the tavern goes, I had this weird dream last night. And everyone's like, me too, me too, me too. Yeah. So yeah. That'd be dope. I think that, that book I think you can end it or start D&D on a sad note. Certainly you can end it on a sad note. I think the problem with it for most campaigns is, unless you're very clear about what your final boss or final villain will be, it's very difficult to, to predict it that far in advance or to plan it that far in advance. Yeah. Yeah. It'd have to be something super powerful. Yeah. Like that, like, that there's no way that the party could like, <laughs> yeah, that the party couldn't possibly accidentally kill along the way. Yeah, I like to accidentally kill. Like, they just drop a bowling ball or something off a cliff. Oops, it hit him on the head. I guess he's dead now. Yeah. Moulin Rouge starts with utter sadness, which, interesting, I don't know if this is... Tell me if this is not relevant. (laughs) But in the stage show adaptation, Mm. interestingly enough, they don't start with that scene. They actually start with you, like, straight into the Moulin Rouge. It is, like... It is like euphoric, like music lights and sex from like the first minute you walk into that theater. Well, I think that's because it's a stage show, isn't it? Like you want the yeah, opening number to be a big one. Correct. And you usually would, but interesting, what really grinds my gears, and it's taken me a while to love the Moulin Rouge stage show. Oh, wow. um, because on first, yeah, on first time I saw it. Okay, for context, I'm sure there's someone out there that loves music theatre is going to be frothing. And then for the 99% of other people, they give no shits whatsoever. But the Strictly Ballroom movie and the Strictly Mm -hmm. Ballroom stage production are like Mm -hmm. almost mirrors. Like they look almost identical scene for scene. That tracks for me. So I went into Moulin Rouge thinking, oh, this is going to be exactly like the movie. And it was not. (laughs) They have made lots of changes. Well, this would be interesting. What changes have they made? Well, yeah. So the first one is, yeah, so it doesn't open with the Lonely Boy scene. Mm. Um, that comes afterwards. And it kind of helps develop the relationship between... Um, Satine and Oh, Zubla? my gosh. No, between Christian and... Toulouse? Not the Argentinian. Toulouse, yeah. Toulouse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just even, I don't know, to be honest, I can't, there's so many, like, differences. Like, the songs are different. Yeah, there see, I, I would assume a lot different. of the songs they wouldn't be able to get rights for because that, I feel, is kind of the, the one of the peaks of Moulin Rouge, one of the, the amazing things about it is it's all songs you recognise. And, and You say that, right? You say that. And I'm honestly still at 34, and th- or whatever I am, 35, 36. I'm still learning that there are songs in the Moulin Rouge that existed mm. before the Moulin Rouge. <laughs> for years, I thought your song was a song written for Moulin Rouge, no, and then see, I, I thought, and then I thought Elton John had the audacity to, to like <laughs> audacity to cover it. That's a bit. Yeah, I was like, Elton, you're very talented. Do your own stuff. Like, <laughs> it's a very good song. Leave it in Moulin Rouge where it belongs to. So I've heard it's the weakest song in Moulin Rouge. Your song? Yeah, something about the way that you and McGregor just, like, belts it out. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, Ewan McGregor, honestly, if we were to remake this movie today, oh, there are so many, so many options for Christian. And at the time, there were so many options for Christian, but... Yeah, but it's Ewan McGregor. It's Ewan McGregor. But neither of them are singers, right? Like, neither him nor Nicole Kidman are what you would call singers. But they do fine. They're fine. 
Yeah, I think they do. I think Nicole Kidman's probably better. Yeah. I don't think anyone's she really... Like, a, no one's really a singer for, in this. No. Like, no, the really, actors for yeah. singers second, which is an interesting choice for a musical. Yeah, like, that's a very interesting choice for a musical. Comparing to, like, what was the, like, freaking Lee Miz that came out a few years ago that yeah. had, like... Hugh Jackman. Or Cats. Like well, freaking Taylor, didn't Cats have Taylor Swift in it? Cats had Taylor Swift. Right, I think Lemmy's is probably a better one because Anne Hathaway, amazing voice, but mm. not quite. But it also had Hugh Jackman, who's a stage performer and a singer. Russell Crowe, who's obviously got his own band. It's like they got yeah. si- actors who were singers. Yeah, correct. I I'm mean, I think the ep- like, nope. Eponine was just the person who played Eponine in the stage show. Like they literally oh. did not cast- recast it at all. You, yeah. Yeah, you, you look um, like Eponine. Great. <laughs> We're set. You can act too. Even better. Oh, it's Les Mis, so acting is... I sing! Yeah. Les Mis is a, look, Les Mis is a very uh, divisive musical amongst... Especially non-musical theatre people. Anyway, but we're not here to talk about that. No, we're, we're not here to talk about So, yes, tell us, tell us the plot of Moulin Rouge, then, if we agree oh. with this synopsis. What happens okay, in so... Moulin Rouge? Yeah, poor boy falls in love with courtesan in a, like, comedy of errors mm-hmm. uh, where he gets mistaken for the Duke uh, and then she thinks he is the Duke. And then in, like, like all good movies, they instantly fall in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she finds out that he isn't actually the rich and powerful Duke who she's meant to fall in love with because not only is he rich and powerful, but he buys the Moulin Rouge and is essentially, yeah. if she doesn't, like, have a relationship with him, the whole thing is going to collapse. So she has to do her part for her people, but she also can't be untrue to her love. So they have a secret love affair. Uh, and it's a musical in a musical because mm-hmm. there's, like, a show in the show uh, where there's also the story. of, And it, actually, it's based off... Here's a better way to describe the summary. Okay. Um, it's kind of loosely based off... What's the actual Greek play called? The one about Eurydice and Orpheus. What's that Greek play called? Orpheus? Uh, the Is it just called Orpheus? I thought... It, I'm not sure. Anyway, the one where, like, you know, the love dies and then he yeah. can have, they can be reunited and just can't back. And then they do. And then they all die. Oh, yeah. It's based I can off see that. that. Really. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, which, interestingly, there's another musical out now that's come out very recently called Hades Town, which is yes. also based off the same story, um, but done very, very differently. I've seen, I can't remember where I saw it, something on YouTube, but where I saw a, some discussion of Hades Town just in general, and it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super amazing. Super, super yeah. good. Uh, also written by a female playwright and musical director, which is very rare in music at a solo. So, and I think she's won Tony's as well for it, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Anyway, like I digress. You make a good. So that's that's basically it. That There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of dancing. Um, mm-hmm. And in the end, someone dies. A lot of love. A lot yeah. of love. There's a <laughs> lot of love. <laughs> and in the end, should actually literally a quote from it. It's like, and in the end, should someone die? It's the Duke when they're doing like so exciting, the audience or stuff, don't you? Everyone in this is amazing. Like the casting is spot on. Richard Roxburgh in particular, you mm-hmm. see just how amazing this guy is. Like the range that he has just in this film is phenomenal. Like uh-huh. he he enters the scenes and he's this like weaselly little duke. Weasel is the best adjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has this like snivelly little voice. And then there's a scene where he just like kind of lets that horrible nastiness and possessiveness and uh-huh. jealousy like out. And he's just crushing this hat. And then he goes back to calm within like three seconds. And he like he just turns on a dime and does it so well. I want to point out. Okay, this is my little interesting link um i actually went to the same high school as richard roxborough i'm not not i'm not that old i didn't actually go when he was there uh but my high school is the same as the one that he went to and the same university as well uh so we're both both alumni of the of the ivy league school of australia amazing well there you go that is a fun fact you're like you know six degrees of separation away from being a I Duke. think he might have been one I... of the captains at the school, so his name was up on the boards and everything that I went past. That doesn't surprise me. And he is actually one of the few, one, one of two actors who have played Sherlock Holmes, Van Helsing, and Doctor Moriarty. Oh no, sorry, not Van Aww. Helsing, Dracula. But he was in Van Helsing when he did it. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That he would. T- Honestly, the Duke is like the D and D villain that I would like. Ugh, he's like my ideal D and D villain. Yeah. If I'm being entirely honest, like someone who like on the surface and you know there's something wrong right like you see the red flags but you're like oh but they're paying us a lot of money and they're doing really nice things and like in his perspective he's helping the performing arts he's supporting the moulin rouge he's making sure these people aren't out on the streets but he is a horrible horrible man Mm -hmm. he's just so Um, ah i mean his entire motivation is i want to fuck satine no no it's worse than that i want to own satine yeah it's worse Actually, than that because he says multiple times it's not just about having sex with her. He wants to, and there's a thing in the in the Broadway production. Um, it's there's a quote where he's like, "Ah, uh, um, I want, uh, you know, I feel like you're being away from me." She's like, "What could you want?" He's like, "I want every part of you. Yeah. Um, like, I want your creepy. heart as well, which is like more creepy than just wanting to like bone, in my opinion." Yeah. Well, this is the thing. He's like, I don't like people touching what's mine. And it's like... Yeah, touching my things. Ugh. Oh, so... Yeah. Yeah. So gross. So gross. So, but see, again, like Richard Roxburgh, who's incredible. Like yes. Him. Yes. Perfect thing. Strad in, in D&D, that horrible little man syndrome where he's just got, yeah. like, hate-filled like heart. Strad's almost like that with... What's his bride that's... Oh, spoilers if you haven't played Strad. What's his, um, the bride, is it Katrina? Katarina? No. Uh, which one are you referring to? B- the original? The one that's dead. Yeah, the original uh, bride that's dead. That's the Tatiana. That's it. Like, it's kind of almost that. Yeah. Okay, maybe I should go and play, replay the crowd, but I'll play it as Moulin Rouge and maybe I'll like it better. That'd be fun, actually. That sounds really cool. Like, bringing... That'd be like, France. That element, like, I don't think it's... I don't think it's um, unintentional that this feels very similar to Phantom of the Opera. Like you, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, they're both about stage shows. They both have like wealthy benefactors. They've got to keep happy. They've got all the secrets behind the scenes. I mean, this is more of a lighthearted romp. And uh, this one's sexy. Yeah, this one's, well, okay, look. <laughs> look, if you're saying that Phantom is not so, all right. Uh, but... <laughs> Whereas that's the the horror style of it, this is the the shiny happy one, and yeah, mm. if you want to make Strad like just this sniveling little weasel dude, you can do that as well because it's that same element of the horror. It's yeah, it's that same same atmosphere of it that all that artifice and all that facade of of the theater. Mm. I think I just I think I just went on like three different tangents and and came around to no point whatsoever on that one. I was really really on board with this idea. It's great. Yeah, yeah, missed that. Jeez, back. You probably missed this. Yeah, everyone Um, has been keeping me on uh, on the tracks. It's it's weird. (laughs) Ah, well, I am here to very very firmly undo all the tracks. Um, so yeah, that's what the musical's about. And then in the end, uh, Satine is told that like. She has to essentially push Christian away, uh, the poor bohemian lover, because like she has to be with the Dukes, otherwise the Moulin Rouge will close. But then she finds that she's like sick with consumption or tuberculosis. Um, and interestingly, she just pushes through. She does the show and then she essentially dies on stage. But Christian's about to take her out. Christian's about to shoot both him and her because he's oh. so heartbroken. Wait, is he? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember him going to shoot them. I remember him coming and bringing the cash and like throwing it at him. I paid my whore. No, he which... had a gun. Oh, I remember them which trying to kill him with a gun. Which they do much better in the stage show. Okay, yes, because that's his that. gun. Oh, okay. Mm. Honestly, I feel like anytime I've uh, I give money not... to someone, I want to yell, "I've paid my whore." Oh, I know it's such a good like yeah, yeah. It's so it's so crushing, so so yeah. crushing. Um. So yeah, again, like comparing the two. So in the movie, uh, he just goes crazy. Um, mm. And yeah, he is going to, it seems like the illusion is that he's going to shoot, kill her, kill himself, very Romeo and Juliet style. Yeah. Um, you never have the feeling that he's going to shoot the Duke weirdly. Like he's never out to kill the Duke. He's always just out to like kill Satine. Um, but then yeah. he sees her and then she starts She starts singing their song and uh, he like drops the gun. There's a, that's when the whole kerfuffle happens. And then the Duke has the gun. Uh, right, yeah. do you remember this? And no, then the see, Duke I thought, comes... the, I don't think that's Christian's gun. It is. I thought 100%. it was the I thought it was the Duke's bodyguard's gun. 
Oh, I'm so I th- confident I on this. I think it's the Duke's bodyguard's gun, and then he gets hit from behind by Toulouse. I'm almost certain it's Toulouse, and the gun skitters over, and the Duke picks it up. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. That part I is all correct, think... but the, okay. way, the way the gun gets on stage, I'm so positive it's Christian. Ooh, okay. Let's see what Wikipedia says. <laughs> we'll put it this way as well, because in the Broadway production, they do a much clearer job of this. Because in the Broadway production, you see Christian physically go to a gun store. Because there's a prop. They do it in the stage show that, like, Christian's character in the show within a show has a gun prop, uh-huh. which is just an unloaded gun because it's the 1890s. And, and then you see the show goes and buys ammunition and, like, physically loads the gun during a song. Interesting. I think this is another difference between the... The stage show and the film. Aww. This this is what Wikipedia says about it. Right. Um, Christian denounces Satine and vows to give her to the Duke before walking off the stage. But Toulouse cries out, you know, this spurs Satine to sing their secret song, causing Christian to change his mind. After Zidler and the company thwart several attempts by the Duke and his body to card to kill Christian, the show ends with Christian and Satine proclaiming their love that their love as the Duke permanently storms out of the cabaret. Yes. So oh. no mention, no mention of That's Christian. I think they changed it. Oh, interesting, interesting. There you go. I will, I will, I will admit defeat on that one. Which I, I can see it being. I can see that being more a dramatic way of doing it. Mm. Mm. Like if you've got the time. I totally just forgot the Toulouse and the mandolin though. In you yeah. just reminded me. He's a sitter. That's. that's Sitar, sorry, a sitar, that's right, a sitar. It's such a cute costume. Oh, it's... it's John Leguizamo, we've got to talk about John Leguizamo as Toulouse. Like, <laughs> this, every time I play a bard, I want the energy mm-hmm. that John Leguizamo brings into Toulouse. Like, yeah. he's just, I mean, yeah. he's an amazing actor anyway. I'm, I'm going to make everyone watch the Super Mario Brothers movie just because John Leguizamo's in it. Like, he is surprisingly good in a horrible film but he was also he's like a Baz Luhrmann alum he was um yeah. Tibble in Romeo and Juliet and again this amazing yeah. performance mm-hmm. and you can see that he they just kind of like you can guarantee that Baz Luhrmann said you're great I'm doing this other movie do you want to yeah come and work on that one too yeah yeah I'm getting on this absolutely there's a whole separate I don't know if you I don't know if it's unkosher not cool I don't know what the word is to like cross promote other podcasts but I know that there is a podcast that exists that is just people that just talk about John Leguizamo films that's fair I would I would listen to that uh I'm surprised I haven't already like I've seen surprisingly <laughs> more John Leguizamo films than that I'm most people, I know that there was one like in between the, uh, this and Romeo and Juliet called The Pest, where he was a, um, oh. a pest controller. And he like, it's kind of like a big Lebowski style, weird, gross out comedy. And for some reason, I've seen it. Um, so I can't, I'm sure they've done that one. I mean, he's in Spawn, like around this time as yeah. well. One of the worst yeah. comic book films ever. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet somehow he's just this outstanding actor. Yeah. So yeah, whenever, if I if I ever play a rogue or a bard, that's mm-hmm. the energy I try to bring yeah. into the into the scene. Yeah. Like just John Leguizamo or anything. Solid. Like honestly, solid, solid. Like I totally agree with that. That's a perfect way to approach all D and D games. Like yeah. No notes. I mean, he gets he gets the best lines. Like even Romeo and Juliet. Peace. I hate the word, as I hate hell, all Montagues, and thee. It's like, dude! That's very good. That was very good. Oh, I've I practiced that a lot. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, when I when we had to do it in high school, I was playing Benvolio, so I don't know why I know all Tybalt's lines. Oh, interesting. Benvolio's got some good lines, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, to be honest, all of, I know Romeo and Juliet has been done to death, but like, yeah. ugh, that Baz Luhrmann production is just... Yeah, it would be interesting to see him do other Shakespeare, I think. I don't think it would do as well, but seeing him do Midsummer Nights would be an interesting... No, but it, more recent Baz Luhrmann stuff I haven't loved Like Australia the like, movie. Even... Yeah. <laughs> we pretend that didn't happen. 
Um, yeah, I feel like for me, Baz Luhrmann is that trilogy, and then I'm just mm-hmm. going to hold on to that. Like, even Great Gatsby, I wasn't yeah. super big. I'm okay with Great Gatsby, because the decadence of a, of a Baz Luhrmann production fits with the Gatsby f- feel. Like that. Yeah. That thing. Speaking of, I mean, of Gatsby and just the 20s and everything, what do we talk... I want to talk about the style of, um, right. of Moulin Rouge. Like, mm-hmm. just that 19, 1890s look, mm-hmm. just that slight turn-of-the-century feel to it. It's like that... Yeah. How do you feel you would... Like, that's so very visual. It's so very frenetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's almost um, schizophrenic when you're watching it, specifically mm-hmm. the, the absinthe thing, uh, the absinthe sequence. How do you think you do that in a game? And I don't specifically mean like the, the schizophrenic freneticness of it. I mean more just that element of style. Like yeah. there's a lot of visual, like this, the d- outfits that Satine has, just the amount of diamonds everywhere. Like how oh would you God. really, pro- how would you really describe that? Or is as a player, like saying I'm this level of fancy or as a game master saying this is the, the scene you're walking into? I mean, I think when I describe a lot of fantasy, like cities especially, I think my brain naturally envisions like old Paris, but just like older, like cobblestones (laughs) and those, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of what my brain goes to anyway. And I think as well, the movie, that kind of freneticness of it, but it's like got that magical, like he literally does like that one stage, they're dancing on the top of the Eiffel Tower and like, and then what's his face? Um, the owner becomes the moon, Zidler. you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. already, Zidler, thank you, um, you know, becomes the moon and stuff. So there's already that kind of fantastical approach, like, okay. yeah, I think it's just about describing, I don't know, to me, honestly, like I would just play in that world without it being 1890s France and just, just suddenly put everyone in some slightly different, you know, aesthetic clothes that are more fantasy set and let's like, Take the cars away. Well, I guess they didn't really have cars. Take the no, the, take the carts away. And away. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking you could just go with it's this sort of hat, it's this sort of coat, and once you have that, you just kind mm. of assume that everyone else is dressed the same. And when it comes to yeah, that yeah. frenetic, just when you mentioned that Zidler's face becomes the moon, I'm mm. reminded of in um, what is it the the Dimension Twenty, the um, Sleepless City, the the, oh, one from the yeah, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that intro that Brendan Lee Mullingen does mm-hmm. when they're in whatever, well, the Upside Down or whatever it is. Um, yeah. That kind of energy, that's what I get from Moulin Rouge, like, during that absence sequence. Like, this, yeah. this weird sort of face rising above the, the um, cityscape and just speaking to you and like that kind of intensity I think would need be needed for you really to get that level of immersion into a world like this because everything I mean everything is bright everything is garish everything is loud and like shining lights like spectacular spectacular that that number that is the entire film essentially like it's so exciting And yeah. I think if you it, want to be, yeah. into, if you want that level of it, you need to have that energy for it, and just the energy will get it, get it across. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And this is also, if I was doing this world, like I would just have images and pictures, you know, use that as well to be like, if my words aren't doing it, look at this, this picture, this is where we are. That certainly sounds easier. Has- <laughs> yeah, but it already even the story kind of leans its way into like you'd have to be in like some like fantasy city obviously mm. but it's the idea of like you know Satine is maybe some like high elf noble who's been promised to some like other noble you know to save the family's reputation but she falls in love with the like penniless you know okay, okay let's say we're and- making we're making a role-playing game is Satine a player mm-hmm. character or is she an NPC I mean, <laughs> what was that noise? I just want to. <laughs> that's because I would want to play a satin. Okay, so like, yeah, you oh, want to play satin, so. right? Yeah, but like th- then it relies on then you're the main character. Do you know what I mean? Like in that story, everyone else is just helping you do your thing. But is it not Christian open. also a main character? He's not as main. No, he's not. There are many Christians his... in the world. There is one sparkling diamond. 
That's true. There are many more. No, but I think maybe what could your job be if you were to... How would you do that? Is that... I mean, what's your job? To take down the Duke? But if you do, then the money goes. Do you know what I mean? Like, this would be one where, like, you give the party the option of, like, okay, you can take down this Duke that's harassing this, like, woman, this nobility, but if you do, that family is ruined. Like, without his money... See, so, I don't see it as being a full D&D one. I feel that D&D is fighting monsters at the end of the day. Mm. Like, maybe you're going to use that mechanics, but I feel oh, that... Oh, it can be political intrigue. It can be, but I think there's better systems for political Harder intrigue. Harder to do. And I think certainly sure. this is going to be a heavier role play game. Mm. And I think something where it's more about you get aspects, like something like Fate, where you've got the aspect of, like, mm. you're the glittering diamond if you're playing yeah. team, or even yeah, yeah, yeah. that I'm, I'm trying to think where I'm going. I've lost my train of thought almost immediately that it's um, that you have ideals for the characters that they're, that's yeah. what they're trying to achieve. They're not trying to beat yeah. the bad guy. They're trying to stay true to that ideal. Mm. And the, you know, what was it? Truth, freedom, love, beauty, beauty. So those are the four yeah. ideals and you each character picks one of these. And as long as your character achieves that goal, yeah. you win the game for want of a better word. Yeah. And That'd be interesting though as a, as a game to just use those four values as like, they're like your classes almost, you know what I mean? Mm. Like that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that would be really interesting. To have that as if this Beth is the Lerman's thing that drives. Listening. Yeah, and you want to license and would that like Moulin Rouge. A Moulin RPG. Uh, mm-hmm. Good news, you've got two people that will happily. I will do the design mostly, and mm-hmm. then Jeremy will do everything else. That's fine. I can, you know, make it powered by the apocalypse and just um, easily put in a uh, or fate even. Just use the fate system, and hey, suddenly it's ready to go. <laughs> Just yeah. all set dressing for the rest of it. Right. Yeah, I, I think that would be really cool. That it's not... Like, there is a villain that's someone you fight at some point. Yeah. But you're... Again, I guess it's kind of building character goals. That... Yeah. Satine, what, what do you reckon Satine's goal is? To... I mean, to not die is probably up yeah. there. Um, yeah. I was going to say... Just, 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 just what she loved... She just wants to be loved. It's it's this thing of like you know someone of like such beauty and such you know talent and and you know and she seems to be loved by so many, but yeah. like on such a surface level that she hasn't truly known love. You know, that old yeah. chestnut. I would say that she also kind of wants to get out of the public eye. I mean, isn't that what yeah. the song "Someday I'll Fly Away" is all about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she just wants she to get out. She's in a not great circumstance. Yeah, so she just kind of wants to get out. And then you've got someone yeah. like Christian who really wants to fall in love from his very start. He's like, but I've never been in love. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you kind of had these ideals for each of them. I'm, I'm kind of focusing on this because I feel that that's how you make this a game. And it would be yeah. the entire, like you were saying Satine would be the main character. It's like, well, not necessarily. You have Satine, you have Christian. Obviously, you would play Satine. Um, so make it the main character. But then you also have Christian, you also have Toulouse, you have the, maybe not the unconscious Argentinian, but you also have Zidler, and you have these are your core group. Yeah. And they're the ones that have to kind of pull the strings and get everything together and deal with the Duke doing, like, Duke horribleness. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that would work really well. And just have it, yeah. like, it, because it's a movie, you just it's not a campaign, it's just an evening. Yeah, it's, it's a, like an encounter you, almost. You know what it is? It's a game of fiasco. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That'd be interesting. That'd be very cool. Yeah. I have thoughts. I have many thoughts. I have got another right. notes. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up since while well, I gather these thoughts and notes? Oh, um, not really apart from the fact that i just like adore this film in so many ways yeah um i don't know 
it's really it's really it. I have I have done I have tried to write a few PC characters that were kind of satine esque, but it always just comes across as like it's so hard when I like you set out with someone whose like goals are like to find love because like <laughs> it just means you're gonna harass so many NPCs along the way. Well, is she trying to find love or is she getting out of a bad situation? True. I've so, always seen it as a love story. She just wants. I mean, to it love. is. I, I mean, that's one element. Me. I mean, she, she, they're not exclusive, right? No. She can want both, which yeah. is why the Duke kind of almost gives her that, like, in theory, the Duke gives her love. I'm putting that yeah. in air quotes because I'm getting that it's a podcast. But... I mean, she seems fine with the Duke up until she meets Christian. Well, it's their first. They both meet at the same time, in theory. Because she thinks Christian's the Duke and... Yeah, it's, like it's, it's she like points out the Duke, but they, th- she's mm. obviously talked with Zidler, and that's they've got a plan. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, like she's going to seduce okay the Duke, with. which she's okay with because that's kind of what she does. Yeah, and she's all right with that. Yeah. So I feel, I think that's kind of the point that when she meets Christian, that's when she becomes not when she meets Christian, when the story starts. That when she becomes a PC, when she becomes a main character, because the path that she was on this boring seduce the Jew, get all the money, become famous, all this stuff, she sees there's another option. And she doesn't yep. take that path. She goes for a different route. And that's yep. when she starts making her own choices and gets this agency. Mm, yeah. Have you ever had an NPC that you've had and then say someone's characters died and then they wanted to come back as that NPC as a PC? I don't think so. I haven't actually had that many characters die outside of one shots. I know I have a reputation as being a lethal dungeon master, but it's <laughs> not true. I only kill them if it's no chance of them coming back at all. Uh, sure. So no, I haven't actually. Um, I've had a few NPCs die and the party like mm. memorialize them. Yeah. Or try to take, yeah, you know, that'd adopt be interesting. them. Like, wouldn't it be interesting if you had a character that's died and then you were like, okay, instead of building a new character, I really liked that NPC we met back in, like, whatever town. Mm. I want to come back as them. Because they've already got a rapport with the party, you know. And it'd be super interesting for me as a DM to be like, okay, take this thing, this, like, because NPCs aren't usually particularly thick, flourish, depending on how, you know, intrinsic to the story they've been, how involved they've been with the party. We did just have that recently in my home game, the one that I'm a player in where we had a, a character die and an NPC that we'd met earlier who we knew kind of like as security for a different organization, which had now been destroyed, comes to us and says, hey, I've been employed, but I need this as well. And this was what the new character had deci- or the player decided to do, just kind of picked up that NPC who we'd only seen very briefly. And I have a feeling that yeah. he and the, the game master kind of had a discussion. He's like, I don't have that many ideas. Like, what have you got lying around that I can latch on to who's in the area without it being too much who are they going to know yeah. already kind of thing yeah yeah no, that's cool that's exactly what i was talking about yeah i reckon that'd be is it has it been like interesting having oh it's been awesome an mp become yeah yeah like we only we literally only saw him in the background as an npc it was like kind of he's yeah. in the background so you know not to start anything because that guy will mess you up and now he's one yeah, of the party yeah. so we kind of like hey remember that time when we called you tom Selleck because your mustache and yeah <laughs> amazing yeah that sounds super fun hmm. yeah i like that idea of just bringing like maybe that's how cap you could start a campaign with just oh. describing a tavern and then people kind of go i'm there i'm someone in the background who just kind of steps into this role oh. like if you start oh, yeah. like kind of a session zero where you all start at level zero I'm thinking of um, the Dragonlance books a long, long, long time ago. They have a character who starts out as a barmaid and basically just grabs a frying pan during a combat and smacks someone in the head and then becomes like, not a great warrior, but a warrior, like a good enough warrior. And it's like that, I guess I'm just going to play, play the barmaid at the moment. Yeah, I, I, you need someone who's you need a group of people who are strong role players and are happy to take risks because obviously yeah. that puts a lot of onus on people to like be a bit bolder. But with the right group, absolutely, that'd be so fun. Mm. I'd be mm. so here for that. What other thoughts did you have about Moulin Rouge? About Moulin Rouge, I was going to say, do you think there could be a musical RPG? Mm. 
by not obviously one about like running a musical I feel would be pretty easy but let's say for whatever reason you can actually get people who can sing and want to sing who feel comfortable enough singing do you think that would be fun or do you think it would be a little bit more okay great now we've got another three minute song while we're all just going to sit here and let them say their feelings in the song Again, depends on the group, right? Because I'm immediately thinking of two examples where I'm like, that would have to work, right? Because there's um, a group overseas who've been on, like, Dimension 20, not Dimension 20, they've been on uh, dropout game shows, and they're called Off Book, mm. and they do improvised musicals. Like, that's what they do. Every week they have a podcast and someone comes on and gives them an idea and they do an improvised musical, and it's they're freaking insane what they can come up with. Yeah. And then there's a local, and then we've got Impromptunes here in Melbourne who are, like, the same on a local level that do that. So in theory, I think it's definitely possible. I guess my question is like, what would that add? Like, what would that add to an RPG? Yeah. I'm wondering. Like it's improv. I mean, improv, yeah. I think that's that's true. I'm wondering then, are the music, like this is something that occurred to me while watching Moulin Rouge, that each of the musical numbers is kind of that set encounter in a mm-hmm. in a role-playing game that you have okay at the start of this they feel like that and at the end of it they're going to feel like this so this is the choice they make this is them describing their feelings and i kind of that's what you'd want them to to have it's like so you're going to be making your choices through song yeah right yeah yeah i guess but and then little, i guess it's not mm-hmm. so much you have to make the choice through song it's like when you make a choice describe it via song yeah 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 look i again to me that sounds like a dream i'm sure to most people listening to this nightmare fuel um <laughs> yeah i think everyone I'm else, person, everyone like, else I would like to go, think, i'm out of key yeah uh like i'm even just self still self-conscious like i remember coming in in my like long campaign i play in as a bard and i was like i had my little ukulele i'd learned to play and i was like improing songs and like i learned enough chords that i kind of like and i was just doing parody stuff like taking a well-known song and just like and then as soon as i sat in front of actual other human beings i was like absolutely not am i going to do this because i look like an absolute tool and like you said because then you have to sit there for three minutes while everyone else at the table is like are you done are you done Mm -hmm. yet Mm-hmm. Oh, you're still going? Okay. Oh, okay. You another verse. Oh, there's another verse. Okay, great. Yeah, followed by like a very like like slow soft cap. I had the exact same thing happen to me when I played a bard. First time I played a bard with my home group, I had like, I'd worked out all the characters' names and when I was inspired them, I was going to steal a role, thing from Critical Role and like work their name into the song. And the first one I did Hi. was The Power of Love and I realized, oh shit, this is a really long song before we get to the the bit where I've changed it. Yeah. I'm not doing this ever again. Yeah. <laughs> ever again. Yeah. I did occasionally. Like yeah. if it's just a, a line to belt out, yeah, that's fine. But I think yeah. that's another thing. You want the game to keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because like a lot of bardic inspiration, like I was, it was coming out during combat, right? And, like, people are just geared up in combat to hit some shit. Um, And so then if you have someone being like, sorry, I'm just going to cast inspiration. Let me just tune this. You know, like, people are just like, can you just... Just how many dice do I roll? What, is that a D8? Is that a D8? Mm Is that a D8? No, I'm not finished my song yet. I'll tell you afterwards. (laughs) Just count count the number of bars, okay? Just count the bars in the song. Uh, What number it is. Actually... That would be amazing if it was so musically inclined that, like, the amount of bars you did was the amount, like, the side of dice you got to roll. Oh, I would actually sound, be here. 100%. That sounds exhausting. I'm not great at, at hearing that. I would, I would think that it works a lot better for the role play scenes because I'm thinking mm, I'm rewatching yeah. Critical Role at the moment, and there's the scene mm-hmm. where Scanlan dies. Spoilers: Scanlan dies. Oh. And, or not that scene specifically, but when they try to bring him back and mm-hmm. Travis, well, like Grog comes in and sings the, um, the Washington now commander's fight song, which mm-hmm. of course is a huge thing for Travis to do as a person because his team is so mm. dramatically opposed to them. But also this very quiet little moment between one character and another character 
And yeah. those elements, I think, work really better. I think there might have been a Acquisitions Incorporated one in a similar oh. case where um, um, Jerry Holkin actually got out the ukulele and played a little song for one of the characters, just like a little, this is something that your character's hearing. And that I can see working really well. I remember a game that I had in lockdown a very long time ago feels like a long time ago now where I tried something like that. There was a funeral for a character um, or I think there might've been a, a wedding that turned into a funeral because you know, D and D and I was like, I was trying to find music that would be appropriate that I wanted in the background. And I, I think it would eventually end up being like, um, I will follow you into the dark, oh. which I'd never heard before. Like oh. before that, I'd never heard it before. I'm like, this is amazing. This is perfect for it. And like, I had the music just playing in the background very softly. And then I started saying the words, this is like the hymn that is said to you. And everyone else on the mm-hmm. screen is just like, cool. Great. Oh, awesome. really? Like, I, I don't know whether it was like the zoom call or what was happening or whether they couldn't hear the music yeah. and I could, uh, but it did not very hit the, the right thing. So <sighs> music, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a thing, right? Like, again, I think with the right people, great, but I think it needs to be, everyone needs to be on board from the start. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah, and you, I think you get um, a sense pretty early on of what that's going to be like. I will say, though, here's an, to, to, to bring in the D&D and the musical element, there is an mm. amazing D&D-themed musical. Uh, called, it's by Tripod. It's called Tripod versus the Dragon. Oh, who are Tripod? Cannot recommend, cannot recommend enough. I watched it on the reg, just watched it last week. Like, it's a short thing, like 90 minutes. Uh, it's on YouTube and then length. go support them. Yeah, yeah, but it's short. Like, it's a short movie. Okay. Like, for me, <laughs> it's a sh- it's like, maybe it's closer to an hour then, because maybe 90 minutes is too long for me. 90 minutes. But it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a D&D game played through song, essentially. Um, and cool. it's wonderful. So it's very doable. Is what okay. I'm saying. Like, if you were to make a and d musical, so doable. Huh. It just is no longer a game. Now we're just talking about, like, a D&D show. Yes. <laughs> now there's a lot of things. If we're starting to talk about D&D and theatre, and um, I've been trying to get my hands on a copy of a script called uh, She Fights Monsters, um, oh. which is... I remember hearing it on Dragon Talk, or I think they talked to the creator on Dragon Talk, but it's about a woman dealing i can't remember if she's dealing with her sister's death or whether just her sister's suicide but her sister was very much into D and was also queer and she finds oh. like all the old sheets and all the old characters and starts going through them and it's like meeting the other members of her party or the other player characters not the oh, player wow. characters the other players and like discovering this yeah. side of her sister that she never knew and yes. discovering that this is someone that she could actually be in that world yeah, right. So it sounds really good, sounds but I haven't been able to get a copy yet. Oh. Yeah. So. Yeah, it sounds deep and hard, but good as well. Yeah. And that's what deep and hard... Look, you know what? I was going to make some jokes about deep and hard, but Moulin Rouge strikes deep and hard in our hearts. Because yeah. Moulin Rouge, it's, it is epic. Now, okay, this is something I just want to... Just going back to the film, do you stop it right. after the final number? <laughs> when you're watching on... on on the screen rather than in the theater. Do I stop it after the final number? Yeah. After the big come what may, after the Duke storms off before Satine dies, do you stop the film and go, well, that's the end. Oh no. I do. Absolutely not. I go, no, the movie's over. No, that's a cathartic ending. No, it's a cathartic ending. No, I want it to be happy forever. No man. And you know, she dies. So like, just ride that wave. Right. Yeah, Every time I watch it, I know that that's where I'm going. It's the same as Jack dying in in um, Titanic. It's like I know he dies. I don't need to Stop. see it. Oh, okay. See, fun fact: in the stage show production, right? Because obviously, can you imagine in a theater if that's where it finished and you just had an audience leave at that? I mean, Hamilton kind of does that in a way, but that's a separate discussion. But what they do in Moulin Rouge is that, so that happens. That all mm. still happens. It's all very sad. I'm, like, ugly crying. And then, like, Christian talks about, essentially, that he, like, has this, like, little monologue moment. Um, and then they, like, pull it. They literally, like, pull a switch. 
and the lights all change in the theater and it all becomes and then they have this huge like uplifting curtain call slash remix number so that as you're leaving the theater you're like yeah not like oh five minutes ago i was like bawling Mm -hmm. my eyes out because i was so sad you leave like oh this was fun you kind of have to when it's a, a theater but i isn't that the message that he's saying is it like i'm obviously because I turn it off, I don't really know what happens afterwards. I'm going from what Wikipedia says <laughs> that the fact that he's telling her story means that she will always be with him. Yeah. She lives on and life goes yeah. on and it's hard and it sucks, but yeah. But, but you deal with grief and it just becomes a part of your world, a part of yeah. the world. Um, it's still very sad though. And very yeah, su- super sad, but mm-hmm. that message isn't that an upbeat message that even though people are gone, they are still with you as long as you remember them? Really, it is a, that is an uplifting message, but it doesn't leave you. That's more of a reflective, like okay. You don't get told that you know you don't walk out being like, and this is why love is great. You know, you walk out like your, your last thought you have is like, oh, that is the thought, but like, man, how much does heartbreak hurt? Yeah, like I know I'll feel better, but right now it feels shitty. Um, whereas, yeah, in the stage show, they're like, nope, we need to sell merch, so clap along. Yeah, and Woo! you also, it's difficult to get a standing ovation and, like, applaud all the performers as they come out and take their bows when you're all just sobbing in the aisles. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. Hamilton does that, though. Like, I know What's you haven't Hamilton? seen it yet. Okay. Like, Hamilton, Hamilton is a breed apart. Only the cultural waypoint of our century. Yes, that's my point. It's a breed apart from everything that came before it and everything that has come since. It's like Hamilton does something. Yeah, because no one else does it. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. You don't... It's just a weird one. It is a real... Because it literally does that. It literally has, like, final song, freaking, like, sobbing, and then the whole cast just comes out, they bow, and that's it. Like, there is... No, like, post-show credits. There is... It's just the the orchestra plays out, lights up, and you're just left there, like... Like a disheveled, wet mess from crying. Huh. I look <laughs> forward to seeing it, then. Well, we are recording this now at a certain date. I'll tell you, you've got four more days before I leave tomorrow. <laughs> I'll just watch it on Disney+. Plus. It'll be the same, right? It's... Honestly, it's... Not far off. Like, I still cried at the Disney Plus when I watched the good Disney Plus one, so. Hmm. I just don't feel it as much in my bones as I do in the theatre. Well, that's new. I feel that there's something about seeing a a theatric performance in person. The the amount of noise coming from the orchestra that actually makes your body vibrate, Mm -hmm. that changes the experience. Yeah. And, oh, my God, Moulin Rouge is, like, a sensory. You know how you were saying before, it's, like, the movie is, like, you know, has that kind of fr- the you walk because you walk into the theater for the production and there's like a literal elephant and there's a literal red 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 windmill and there's like actors already on the stage as you come in and then it's just lights and fucking music and like they come out of the stage and they're in the like aisles and you're like oh all my in the aisles oh no oh. yeah the actors Ooh. use the aisles I don't like that I'm not a fan of when actors oh, no. are in the aisles it's it's good trust me it's good okay it's so okay. good. It's I so remember good. they did that when I was a kid. There was a performance of the Twits that did that, and it was it wasn't great. Oh, there were some issues. No, anyway, great. <laughs> you were you were going to say something about Roald Dahl? Or? No, no, that's fine. Well, I thought there might be in a Tim Minchin reference or something in the. Oh, I mean, well, speaking of amazingly talented people, yeah, yes, Tim Minchin up there. We we could go on and on, um, but me think I think that's pretty much everything. Unless there's something right. else about Moulin Rouge you want to talk about. We really could talk about it for like another hour, I reckon, if we just wanted to gush amazing. over how amazing it is. Yeah. Like, I didn't I, even get to force my other fun fact about that like, Nicole Kidman broke like... Oh, yeah, she um, broke a like, rib. A bunch of ribs and stuff. Yeah. And I think she like injured an ankle or a knee. Like she... Because she... Yeah. It was like a hardcore film. She yeah, because they really had no, to like push no her into the corset. No. Oh, well, why would they be? It's, it's amazing. Anyway, so no, now, uh, that I've, now that I've ear-horned that in, I'm good. Hey, if you want more fun facts about um, Moulin Rouge and just musicals in general, send us an email. Uh, send me an email. The email address is dndntvpod at gmail.com uh, or come over and find us on Instagram for the same, the, at dndntvpod. Uh, Meek, where can people find you and Masters of Alchemy? 
Uh, we can be found at Masters of Alchemy, or one word. Um, we can be found there on the gram, the book of face, uh, and also email uh, meek at mastersofalchemy.au um, because we so, are Melbourne's premier game masters for hire. That's right. I was going to say that, but I figured you should because, you know, you're the glorious leader and all I, that. I got it in there. I yeah. got it in there. So, yeah, but like, come play D&D with us. It's fun. We promise we won't enjoy you into a musical unless you want it. Yeah, if you want a musical, then give us a, like a month prep time. Yeah. And there will be a lot of backing tracks. Um, <laughs> but we could probably do it. Yeah. Honestly, we'll find someone. We'll make you do it. We'll, we'll work it out. I'm trying to think, is there some sort of musical way I can, like, there's not like a big number to, to sign off on a podcast, I don't think. You know what? I'm just going to put some clips in. Um, so until next okay. time, thank you for listening and may all your hits be crits. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.